0: On this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, Not every institution is struggling to attract and retain students.
1: There's a reason why many of our big online universities have thrived during the last two years and continue to see tremendous growth because they are offering a a really premium online learning experience. And I think we've got to help more universities and colleges get to that next step.
0: This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening across the community. Higher education IT managers are running into pushback and dissatisfaction from employees who say they don't need to be on campus to do their jobs. Associations like Educause have advised universities that offering more remote work can aid with hiring and retention. But some IT leaders say many roles require a physical presence, which presents a challenge. Some leaders, though, are finding ways around the challenge. Online learning company 2U is starting to see the benefits of its acquisition of online learning platform edX, its CEO said on an investor call. The company is successfully transitioning activity on edX's free online courses to 2U's paid online degrees and alternative credentials. The uptick in optimism among company leaders comes months after a series of layoffs and budget cuts for the company. You can find all these stories and more on edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Software company D2L is making it easier for faculty members to create and share their own course content for online classes. The transition is the latest in the company's efforts to help faculty learn the ins and outs of learning management systems as universities emerge from the crisis moment of the COVID-19 pandemic. The company's founder and CEO, John Baker, tells EdScoop's Lindsay McKenzie how he started the company and what they're doing now to support students and faculty in a new era of learning.
1: So it was a company, I started my third year of university. For me, it was wrestling with one key question what's the most important problem that I could solve that would have the biggest impact in the world. And I couldn't think of anything bigger than transforming the way the world learns because learning has this wonderful ripple effect from one person to the next, from one generation to the next, through our campuses, through our communities, through our companies. It really is a great foundation to build from.
2: So I don't, I don't want to embarrass you by asking how old you are, but when did you start the company? <laughs>
1: Oh, this was 23 years ago, Lindsay. So yes. Uh, I remember one time visiting a, a, a college and they said, this is John. He's really young, but don't worry. He's uh, got some great ideas. <laughs> and so uh, today I, I feel like I've been at this for a couple of decades, but uh, I feel like I've got more energy for this idea than I ever did before. So, you know, I, I think we've got now a lot of capacity to actually go off and execute.
2: What does a typical day look like for you now?
1: So I've got uh, three little girls. So typically, I start the morning with, a. I try to do a little bit of yoga. Uh, quite often, they're, they're the ones leading the practice. And I made the mistake of one year, uh, introducing them to goat yoga. And uh, so they they try to do goat yoga on top of me from time to time, uh, which, which throws me off a little bit. But uh, it's it's a great way to start your day. I spend most of my time uh, during the day just making sure that I'm engaging with their clients, engaging with their, all the different stakeholders in the organization. Uh, to really make sure that we're charting the right course for the future. You know, I've got a great leadership team that, you know, really does a great job managing the day-to-day. And I'm trying to live, you know, three to five years out into the future, really understanding where the market's going, making sure that we're nudging our teams to put in place the right systems to be responsive to uh, the changes that are coming. It's a lot of listening, a lot of conversations, um, and a lot of engaging with clients and others uh, all around the world.
2: What are some of the biggest projects that you're working on right now?
1: Oh, there's quite a few. So we have big implementations going right now. I think uh, one that's publicly announced was uh, SUNY. So that's the big state university of uh, New York that's rolling out across uh, all their different campuses. So that's a big project. We've got a number of those um, in different regions around the world that uh, we've been working on. Uh, So that's rolling at our core learning platform to support a better experience. Uh, I think one of the big things for me was, you know, a lot of our clients right now are trying to engage in building out great online programs. Not just you know supporting the traditional face to face. You know, as we emerged back from the pandemic, we didn't just snap back to face to face. A lot of students are choosing to do a mix of face to face and online, and so there's a lot of work going into helping our clients manage that transition. Uh, we're also launching new technologies. So you know, one of the big things uh, that we just launched yesterday was something we call Creator Plus. And so it's reimagining the authoring experience for for faculty, for designers, so that instead of having to know how to code, to build really high engaging interactives and practices and little mini assessments that are formative inside the actual course to really engage and inspire students. Uh, We've tried to build uh, a learning platform to to do a lot of that, but we've also built now an authoring tool within that learning platform uh, that enables uh, anybody to put that power of creation of these interactives into the hands of all the, the faculty. Uh, and so that's a, a great new initiative that we're just launching to really have a big impact on improving the engagement within these offerings, which talk to a lot of clients right now. That seems to be the number one concern is really engaging first year students coming into campus uh, to get them off on the right track and to maybe close a few of the gaps that may have uh, occurred during the pandemic.
2: I've heard that during the pandemic, a lot of faculty kind of discovered the LMS for the first time. And yeah. I'm wondering how did the pandemic change the way that faculty engage with the LMS and, and what have you done in response to that?
1: Yeah. So I still remember uh, early January when some of our clients in Australia called me and said, you know, we need to get all of our courses online, you know, next week. <laughs> and I'm what do you mean all of your courses? Yeah, we need 4,500 courses online next week. And I knew something was going to be something was going to be an impact uh, when when we we started to see basically a wave of that occur between January and March uh, as folks pivoted to. Fully online for all of their offerings. Um, I I think it was not easy. Uh, you know, we we ran training sessions for faculty. We were getting about five thousand people showing up a day every day for weeks, uh, just really enabling folks to to embrace the technology to to do as good of a job as they possibly can. Um, but it's hard to actually pivot to a fully online model overnight. Uh, And so we use technologies like we're using right now, Zoom or Teams to sort of take what we do traditionally and and broadcast it out. Um, But that's hard. I I mean, these are great technologies to use, you know, for maybe two, three hours uh, a day, but not not eight (laughs) or 12 in some cases. And so the real work now is... Thinking about oh, how do we how do we take the learnings that we've had during the pandemic? How do we take that uh, heroic effort that faculty uh, delivered in terms of a great experience you know, with with whatever tools they could cobble together? And uh, how do we make that better is is the, is the key question for me. You know, I, I think one of the things that we saw during the pandemic is we also saw a lot of uh, burnout for both students and for faculty. It's one of the reasons why I saw a bit of a, a dip in, in enrollment. Uh, now, our clients didn't see that. Just for clarity, like. First year, of the pandemic. Uh, I think our client base was the only uh, client base that did not see uh, a decline, but we we did we did see uh, a need for us to really build a lot of tooling to make it easier for 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 folks. Uh, so, uh, what do we do? We we did things like automatically closed captioning of videos. We launched that. We did an at home mode for our portfolio tool. We uh, built out a, a solution called Course Publisher, which enables us to. You know, take take content from one university and be able to share it with another university uh, without having to have them switch LMSs. So we did everything we could just to try to, you know, do our, our part, if you will, to help them navigate a really tough time. There's a reason why uh, many of our big online universities have thrived during the last two years and continue to see tremendous growth because they are offering a, a really premium online learning experience. And I think we've got to help more universities and colleges get to that next step, if you will, because, you know, I think students today want to want to weave these things together. They, they want to get back to that social interaction on campus, get some of that. Uh, that's part of the study, if you will. Um, but also at the same time, they want to be able to have a bit more flexible schedule, a bit more personalized. Uh, and so being able to blend these two worlds together makes it makes a difference. Uh, yeah. Social connection matters. You know? And, you know, it, and when I, when I gave the example of competency-based education, it's not just to help you speed through, it's actually to free up time. Uh, there's actually an old definition of the word study that you can't even find on Google. <laughs> unless you're looking at one of my presentations, it comes from like old texts from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it contains that the definition back then was desire, passion, pursuit, zeal, different words uh, than what you think of a study today. And, um, and I think free up time, we enable, you know, a student to get back to some of their passions, whether it's with their friends or whether, whether it's becoming a better researcher, a better scientist, a better dancer, a better musician, better entrepreneur, uh, to really explore the big questions and really connect to the community. And learning community really matters for a lot of folks.
2: Is that the origin story of D2L, Desire to Learn?
1: A little bit. I was hinting at it there a little. Yeah. Desire to learn. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that what we want? Like we we want to really spark the engagement, that passion, that that desire to, you know, want to learn not just while you're in school, but throughout your life. I think so.
2: Well, speaking of lifelong learning, how does DTUL think about um, career training and executive ed? Obviously the origin and the core is higher education, but what else are you working on?
1: Well, literally our first big client was helping to launch an online MBA program. So, you know, uh, our origin story, if you will, included exec ed Uh, and, you know, I I think um, when we started the company, you know, very early on, it was really answering that one key question, what's the most important problem we could solve would have the biggest impact? And we thought, just providing the best possible education to launch people into a career uh, was how we could have the biggest impact. Uh, And it's become abundantly clear to me today that we can have an even bigger impact if we support uh, that individual lifelong. Um, And how are we doing that? So, you know, we're, we're launching, um, a product we call D2L wave. Uh, so as part of the pandemic at the early stages of the pandemic, I sat with, uh, on an industry strategy council, which uh, was basically eight CEOs advising government on how to recover from the uh, economic impact of uh, the pandemic. And so we talked to a 1000 CEOs, a couple hundred different organizations, including many of the universities and colleges, and their their parent organizations, if you will, in terms of that support them as as associations. and there was a one universal that was sort of rippled across every sector of the economy, which is, you know, as as we recover, we're going to need a massive upscaling initiative uh, to support uh, the growth that we're going to see in each one of these different sectors. We're going to see a tight labor market. This is back in 2020 when no one was thinking this. Um, and so what we decided to do is very similar to how we leaned into the storm with, um, with our clients in terms of helping them get online as quickly as possible. We decided, well, what can we do to help? Well, we can we can match make the best of our educational client exec ed programs and and micro credentials and certificates that can be used by industry to support the transformations their workforce are going to go through. Whether that's bank tellers becoming, you know, uh, moving into other roles in the bank, uh, or you know, trying out their ha- you know hand at becoming like someone that's working on artificial intelligence, you know, if they really want to go truly on an advanced track how do we give them the skills they're going to need to make the transformation as bank tellers no longer exist uh, as a role within these organizations, or how do we onboard new people from uh, maybe sectors that are not performing to sectors that see high demand, Uh, you know, including like digital transformation or others. So we've created this curated catalog that makes it easy for for employers to provide a budget to their employees to go take courses from our clients. Uh, And that that I think, uh, could be a big game changer in terms of um, not only this tight labor market, but also with the potential recession that we're heading into.
2: I saw that you recently signed BISC to the DTR wave program. Yeah. I think the OPM business is fascinating. And I'm curious if you see yourself in that space or partnering more with OPM businesses,
1: well, there's no reason for us not to partner with an OPM. Uh, they're providing a high quality offering and BISC certainly is with the offerings that uh, we've got put into the catalog. Uh, I know a number of our clients have already had people register for some of their programs and are really excited about what they're being offered. Uh, so for us, it's not it's uh, it's being able to put into that catalog high quality offerings that really have an impact on people's career that matters. Um, and if BISC is a, is a partner in that mix, it's great. Uh, You know, we also have direct relationships with many of the top universities and colleges, uh, and we're building that catalog down to over 400 different programs that are being offered to our corporate clients. And we'll continue to build it out to support all of the different specializations, as you can imagine, for all these different sectors and industries. So uh, in our case, we're we're effectively a lower cost channel uh, to help these universities and colleges get new enrollment into these uh, really important programs that they're offering. And so there's no reason why we can't be that for the OPMs. Are we an OPM? No. <laughs> uh, we'd much rather partner with the with the OPMs and with the universities and colleges. We don't want to compete there. Uh, we do provide more a lot of cart services. We do have like a, what we call our learning and creative services team that helps our clients build online programs. You know, we have po- folks that uh, do a, a, a lot of aspects of what you would normally find in an OPM, but we're not an OPM. No.
2: I think course sharing could be a solution to some of the challenges that institutions are facing. And if you think of a small institution that's struggling with enrollment, maybe they might need to cut, say, their Japanese program or, you know, something that doesn't have such high student numbers. I'm curious how much you think institutions will start to rely on course sharing and course materials from other institutions.
1: I I think it's going to be really big. You know, one of the things that we did as we as we went into the pandemic, as, as I was talking to faculty is, you know, they just didn't have the offerings to build online offerings within their university uh, quickly. They were, they were looking for, you know, courses. And I remember talking with uh, a chemistry professor from the University of Waterloo, uh, who was very reticent to go into online learning, uh, but he was very quick to offer hundreds of examples of online labs into uh, running a chemistry program. The challenge was how do we aggregate that, put that into a great online offering, and then be able to support uh, that transition as quickly as possible. And that wasn't easy. And that was just one example of one program with one offering with one one faculty member. And so, you know, we we pioneered a new way of doing course sharing. We called it Course Publisher. We probably could have come up with a better brand, but the idea is that any one of our clients can take any course that they're offering and share it with others, whether they're using Brightspace or not, and all that. All that other institution has to do is put a little link into uh, their their LMS, whatever it might be. Student clicks it, just like they would click a course in their own institution, and it automatically registers them, enrolls them, puts them in that offering. There's no complexity of an, a student information system or authorizations or things like that. It just automatically sends it in, uh, and they, they're able to aggregate demand for that offering across multiple institutions, and then they can worry about how do they actually get paid between institutions separately. It, it solves a really critical problem. And it's not just, you know, the Japanese offerings. There's, you know, universities uh, all over North America that are using uh, this, this as a way to deliver great education. And it's not just universities that are you, know, you think of. Uh, some of the top universities in the world are using our, our course publisher platform to be able to, to connect students between campuses, uh, you know, at, at elite universities globally. Uh, so this this I think is a tremendous opportunity for us to break down some traditional silos and be able to share resources between institutions, and we're trying to just make it really easy for them to do that.
2: Could you tell me a little bit more about the new authoring platform and how you're making that process easy?
1: Well, as as you can imagine, uh, we you know when you're trying to build a really high engaging online offering, it takes time. Uh, you're, you're, you you want to build a timeline, you want to you want to do a drag and drop exercise to match uh, things into the right order, you want to create a hotspot question, uh, all of these things take a, a combination of a subject matter expert, and maybe a web designer to actually build those interactives to build those experiences. Um, today that's, and it's not easy. You could in theory, uh, license some third party technologies, but then you got to integrate these things, you got to train faculty, you got to do all these, uh, these efforts. Um, But what we've done with Creator is taken about 23 years of us building online offerings for our clients, all the interactives, the thousands of them that we've built, and we're starting to distill those down into basically a drag and drop experience for a faculty member. So they don't need to have any coding experience whatsoever. Uh, They don't need to have that designer sitting right beside them as they sort of map it all out. They can just do it themselves. Uh, and it's in the same workflows that you would normally be using to create content today. And so there's no no huge training burden for for folks. Uh, and I think this is a bit of a game changer. It's putting the power of a whole instructional design and web creation team into the hands of every individual ins- instructor so that they can actually create these high engaging experiences themselves. and including like video. Um, so you can you know record a video showing you know maybe some documents or perhaps a webinar, uh, all of that is just simply from the learning platform. You just click record video. Uh, it takes care of all the closed captioning. It can even chapter it, makes it searchable for students. It's, it, I, th- I think it's the ability for us to really take the magic, if you will, of a lot of that instructional design work and, and bottle it up and put it into the hands of more people. Now, I think there's still gonna be a huge demand for instructional design. I still think there's gonna be a huge service that we're gonna be providing clients to help uplift uh, the thousands of offerings that we, we do a year. Um, But this is just another way to help, help our clients really take more control out of their own creation process, if you will.
2: What trends do you think we might see in the degree versus alternative credential versus career executive training program space in the next few
1: years? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I do think there's still high demand for traditional degrees. Um, I think it is a great way for you to launch into a career. It's a great way to get a great job and start, uh, start on your, your journey, if you will. Uh, no question about that, but I I do think, uh, universities investing in ideally micro credentials that stack into certificates or graduate certificates or other types of alternative credentials, uh, create a huge Uh, there is a huge opportunity for them to tap into an adult learning market, to upskill the workforce, to really enable them to be more nimble and to go through the transformations they are going through. You know, I expect uh, half the world's economy to go digital in the next few years. Uh, This is some of the work that I did with the Industry Strategy Council. Well, that's not going to happen unless we upskill people, uh, or it's going to be highly disruptive to those that are going to get displaced by automation or some of the other technologies that are coming. And so the ability for universities and colleges to help support This adult learning market with new alternative credentials, new career training supports, new upskilling initiatives, I think it's going to become uh, essential. I think there's another one uh, around work integrated learning, giving every student uh, a working integrated learning experience will also provide a really unique feedback loop back into the university, back into the college to make sure that what they're actually teaching uh, is of huge demand in the workplace, oh, and to get those little feedback loops going are a great way for you to improve your academic offerings as well, too. Even the traditional undergraduate degrees. So those are a couple of the things that I see as big trends. And then finally, uh, you know, as as you think about the ultimate evolution of learning, I do think a big trend that we're going to see continue to accelerate. It's been you know talked about for years, is mastery-based learning and competency-based education. Uh, where you give badges along the way, you recognize mastery of specific outcomes. Uh, The reason why we haven't seen this take off yet is because it's been really hard uh, to build these types of experiences, because there's just so many assessments that need to be done. Uh, It's not possible without technology as you try to scale this out across a, a university or across a program. And so as we make that easier and easier and easier, I see that taking off. And I already see that with the clients that are using it today. But um, this, this will have a, a really big impact on the quality of the educational experience and also lead to new ways of doing things like micro-credentials or prior learning assessment and other types of activities that uh, will have an impact on growing enrollment and retaining students.
2: Thank you so much, John, for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to see what you're working on next.
1: Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for doing your work. And uh, thanks for this wonderful podcast.
0: John Baker, CEO and founder of D2L. You can read more about him and learning management systems at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere that you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help make it happen, and the entire team contributes.
1: Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.